we celebrate the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. It marks the end of our liturgical year. Next Sunday, of course, we begin our Advent journeys and a new church calendar. The National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception has perhaps the largest mosaic in the world depicting what we celebrate today, Christ in majesty. You know, it's in the north asp of the upper church. It really is stunning. But perhaps, and many have commented on this, uh, also very surprising. And every time I see an image of this or go to the shrine myself, I can't help but think of a seminarian friend of mine named Adam. He is now a priest for Lincoln. One of his, uh, well, his assignment one uh, year was to be a tour guide in the National Shrine. And he said the question that he got more than any other was why does Jesus look so angry? Why does he look so mad? Well, uh, Adam just looked, looked over to the uh, mosaic, this giant mosaic of Christ in majesty. He says, you think he looks angry, interesting. Well, I'm not sure, but we were told when we were getting the training for these tours that the artists use these special tiles, these special mood tiles, in fact, and they position them in such a way that the Lord would reflect what he was thinking about you in that moment. Each person, each person sees this Christ and majesty different. You know, of course, uh, Adam is just kidding. Uh, the uh, National Shrine's website tells us that uh, this uh, is our Lord's power, showing his power over the, over the otherworldly power that he has. It's overarching, this raised left brow is a testament that he will be the final judge. A right brow, I'll be honest, I don't see much of a difference, but evidently the relaxed right brow is to show our Lord's love and his mercy, that he comes as the good shepherd. You know, Jesus is our king, but he is no ordinary king. He said, you say, I am a king for this I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus is our king. And bringing about his kingdom is his mission. By the way, it's ours as well. But Jesus did not come to be an earthly king. Those expecting the Messiah to have a visible, a temporal power were mistaken. For Jesus did not come by force. Jesus is no ordinary earthly king. In fact, we have no earthly model of Christ the king. England hasn't had a king since George VI died in 1952. I used to think Americans struggle with this concept of king because we, well, we don't have a king ourselves. In fact, we've fought a war, a revolutionary war, right, to be freed from a king. But in fact, it seems that we do not struggle. In fact, we embrace kings. We have many kings. Elvis was king of rock and roll for us, right? Michael Jackson, king of pop. Perhaps as kids, I know I did, we played king of the mountain and we were the king. Now we watch king of the hill and Hank is our king. And we go to Burger King and get some burgers, right? And we purchase basketball shoes marketed by the king, LeBron, King James. 
There seems to be so many, many earthly kings. But Jesus is no earthly king. He's no ordinary king. And all earthly kings pale in comparison to our Lord Jesus Christ, king of the universe. But is he our king? Is Jesus Christ our king? Does he truly reign over our hearts and minds? Do we spend more time bowing down to these earthly kings of ours? Or have we sadly molded Christ the king into our own vision of kingship? You know, all of us, when we came into this church, we genuflected using our right knee. Do you know why we do that? You know, if we were to go and uh, visit the king, uh, some earthly king, uh, tradition would be that we would go down on our left. Well, why do we use our right knee when we come here before the Lord of Lords in the tabernacle? King of kings, king of the universe. Well, perhaps because we know there will be a final judgment, and we hope to be among the sheep on the right and not the goats on the left. Who knows how that actual tradition happened? I don't know. But what kind of king is Jesus for us? And do we believe, my friends, that he is winning? That he is winning, that his kingdom reigns? And that as Daniel said in the first reading, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not be taken away, shall not be destroyed. Do we believe? Do we believe this to be the case? Or do we struggle with it, as many do, because of the dumpster fire that seems to be our world these days? because it does seem that evil and not good is winning our culture wars. Jesus is not a king, my friends, who wins souls by force. He invites. He invites and he converts souls by his tremendous grace. He did win our souls on the cross through sacrifice. And his timing, uh, well, it isn't always our desired timing, right? Because as we see in today's gospel, it shows the great paradox in Jesus' kingship. Jesus shows his power through suffering. This is not what we would expect. And it does seem right that Pilate is in control. But in reality, he is the one that cowers. Pilate is before the crowd, not Jesus. Jesus fulfills the ideal of a king, a king leading an army into battle. A battle over sin and death, a victory, a victory that was won on the cross. You know, there is so much suffering and evil in our world. What are we to think as Catholic Christians? Is God asleep? Does he not care that we are suffering, that so many are suffering terribly? Some, in fact, many, I think, are wondering if God even exists. My friends, this is not a new question. This is a question men and women have been asking, pondering for many thousands of years. It is the problem of evil. Epicurus, a Greek philosopher centuries before our Lord walked this earth, defined the question in the following way. He asked, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. Is God able to prevent evil but not willing? Well, then he must be wicked. Is he both able and willing? He wants and can uh, have a world without evil. Then why does evil exist? 
Is he neither able nor willing? Then why do we call him God? You know, the problem of evil is the greatest emotional obstacle to belief in God. It just doesn't seem like it's right that God would allow suffering. If we were God, we certainly wouldn't allow it. More people have abandoned the faith because of the problem of evil than perhaps for any other reason. It is a great test. It's a, a temptation of our faith, right? And not just intellectually, but emotionally as well. That is why the book of Job perhaps is so compelling to all of us. You know, Dr. Peter Kreef provides, I think, a beautiful solution to the problem of evil. First, he says that evil is not a thing. Evil is not a thing. Everything God created is good. If evil were a thing, like if cancer uh, were a thing and evil, then God is the creator of evil and is therefore to blame for it. However, evil is not a thing. It's a privation. It's a lack of something. And in the case of cancer, it's a lack of proper division of cells, and on and on. Maybe not so satisfied with an answer, but evil is not a thing, it's a privation. Secondly, Dr. Kreese says that God is not the origin of evil. Our free will, our free choices are. Our disordered nature is. You know, there was no cancer before the fall. Ultimately, the fall of humanity is the cause of all suffering. Before the fall, there was no sin, and uh, the human person was in perfect harmony with the Lord, perfect harmony within themselves, and perfect harmony with each other and all of creation. We were created to exist in this perfect harmony. But we chose the path of disobedience through Adam and Eve, which brought about all suffering and death into the world. My friends, it may not be our fault directly, right? We are not Adam nor Eve, are we? But it is our problem. But sometimes we do blame God for everything. Yet our suffering is often simply the cause of our frail human condition. We are not in the Garden of Eden anymore. Yet our free will is a manifestation of God's power and goodness. Would we really prefer to have no freedom? simply to be robots. And our, our freedom and our suffering does it not cause us through faith to turn to the Lord. Which brings me to the, his final point. Dr. Kreef says most importantly that God's solution to the problem of evil is his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the God-man. Out of love for us, God sent his son to die for you and me to conquer sin and death on the cross, to defeat the power of evil in our fallen nature. He did this for us. We call it, oh, happy fault. If it were not for the sin of Adam and Eve, perhaps the Lord would not have pursued us literally into his creation, taking on our flesh, pursuing us even here in this holy mass into the sacraments. God pursues us because of this happy fault. The cross is God's solution to our perplexing problem of evil. It points to the reality that God uses suffering to bring about a greater good, his praise, of course, but also our sanctification. Dr. Kreef says that the cross is God's part of the practical solution to evil. Our part, he says, 
is to repent, to believe, and to work with God in fighting evil by the power of love. We, my friends, are part of God's plan, his plan to overcome evil and suffering in our time through love. We are being called, perhaps like no other time that, that I can remember, to demonstrate that Jesus is our king by helping bring about his kingdom, a kingdom with Christ on his throne, a kingdom with love in our hearts. My friends, there have, well, there are no simple answers to many of the difficulties that seem to surround us these days. And I think it is easy to look around our hot mess world and become glass half empty people. But my friends, that is not who we are. We are people of hope. For Jesus Christ, if he is our king, then that means that we are heirs to the kingdom, to his kingdom. Heirs to unimaginable peace and joy. Heirs to ultimately please God eternal life. A life free of suffering and death. You know, I do love this time of year. Football, of course, but also we're preparing for Thanksgiving. Please God, we'll all be together with family and friends. It is so awesome, really, to simply walk around the neighborhood, right, and see the beauty of God's creation. All the vibrant reds and yellows and oranges that are on the trees. These cool fall days remind us that death, or rather I should say the process of dying, is truly very beautiful. Our suffering is real, of course. I don't mean to minimize it. But everyone will die, right? We know this. We will eventually, all of us, die. But thankfully, those of faith, through God's incredible love and mercy, through his grace, will rise. Rise to everlasting life, to a new spring, where there will be true peace and joy when death will be no more. Until then, my friends, may we all appreciate the moments of sunshine. Appreciate the sun and more perfectly embrace the purifying process of dying, of dying in death and so become the saints God desires all of us to be. He's calling us to it. And may God be praised. Amen.